coming November 15th, a brand new season of That's What She Did podcast. We'll be bringing you 10 inspiring women you probably don't already know. On this new season of the podcast, we're shining a light on women that are at the intersection of activism and storytelling. They're fearlessly using their art, expression, and personal narratives to change the world. You're going to hear from actors and playwrights, poets and artists, filmmakers and authors. There are women unapologetically challenging the status quo, and you need to hear their stories. Prepare to be inspired. This season, our fourth, is going to be pure fire. You don't want to miss this. Find it wherever you get your podcasts or on our website. That's what she did podcast.com. Hey there, inspiration junkies. I am so happy to have you back for another episode of That's What She Did podcast. If you don't know me yet, I'm Tangi Renee. I'm your host, and you are listening to season four, episode two of That's What She Did podcast. Before we get started, I want to do a couple of quick shout outs. I want to thank all of our listeners in Japan and England. We have growing listeners in those two countries. And I just want to say welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening, giving us your time and attention and being inspiration junkies with us. The best way that you can support this show is by continuing to share it. Now, I don't personally know anybody in Japan. So I don't know who's sharing the show out there and getting it to grow, but I thank you so much. The whole goal of this show is to be a point of inspiration and empowerment for other women to be on their journeys and go out and be inspirational and great. And the way that we're able to do that is by getting subscribes and shares. So if you want to support this show, it's really easy. All you have to do is hit the subscribe button on whatever app you are listening to us on and hit share. Share it on your social media, talk about it with your friends, let other people know that we're here so that we can continue to get into new eardrums and hopefully inspire more and more people. I want to now introduce you to this week's guest. This week, I have Adri Norris on the show. Adri Norris is a Denver-based artist whose family hails from Barbados originally. With a less-than-typical background, she's an immigrant, military veteran, and queer artist. Adri is perhaps most known for her Women Behaving Badly series of paintings. The series aims to tell the story of women from all races, nationalities, and walks of life. She says, I wanted people to see themselves in those stories, to consider how they may be like those women, and think differently about women in general. Her artwork is beautiful. I came across it by visiting a local coffee shop, Coffee at the Point here in the Denver area. And I was just so inspired by her work and I knew I had to have her on the show. She's a perfect fit for this season's theme, activists and storytellers. And she's specifically using the medium of paintings to be an advocate and activist for women. I'm excited to have her here today. I hope her story and her work inspires you as much as it has inspired me. Don't forget to give us a share. Thank you for listening. Now let's get started. Welcome to the show, Adri. I'm really happy to have you here. Thank you for making time in your day. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super interested in chatting with you about your work as an artist, but the impact that you are working towards with your work specifically as an artist. Um, I think I first came to learn about you because you had some artwork up at a local coffee shop, Coffee at the Point, which is one of my favorite Denver area coffee shops. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, it's, it was part of your Women Behaving Badly series. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And with that title, how could I not be interested? <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe let's start out talking about Women Behaving Badly and what is that exactly and what are you trying to do there? So Women Behaving Badly, it comes from a quote, well-behaved women seldom make history. Mm -hmm. And I am painting historical figures. These are individuals who have done so much to help create the society that we live in. They've contributed so much. 
And yet we tend not to learn about them in schools. We tend not to learn about them in regular life. We don't talk about them. And so their stories go, you know, mostly untold. So I wanted to use my art as a platform to learn about these stories, to tell these stories, and to just really shift the narrative about who created this world that we live in, this culture that we live in. And um, once we understand that there were so many other people involved than just cisgendered straight white dudes, Mm -hmm. um, then we can, number one, as you know, young people and people of color have new role models to look up to. Um, but number two, you know, we can really work to give more opportunities because we understand that the talent pool is much bigger than it's been portrayed. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. The talent pool is much bigger than it's been portrayed. Um, so I talk to women of color about this stuff all the time, right? This mm-hmm. show was was created to center the voices of women of color, but I've never actually heard anybody say it that way. Honestly, it's the first time I've said it that way. I really? <laughs> it's just genius. It's genius is just coming out of you right now. Um, and I think that's really, really a, a poignant point that could not be grammatically correct, whatever I just said there. <laughs> I really, you know, I think it's a good point to make is that we think that the talent pool is much smaller for marginalized voices than it actually is and so when you started creating women behaving badly and more broadly your other work which we'll get into was it was a piece of you about trying to shine a light on how big the talent pool is on on the level of talent out there or were you coming like where how were you approaching the work in the very beginning it was more about inspiration Um, you know, from the start, I wanted to make sure that my work entered spaces where young people, especially young girls, had the opportunity to see it, to engage with it, to read the descriptions, um, and really have role models that they wouldn't have considered before in, um, in fields of work and, you know, just fields of knowledge that they wouldn't have considered before. So that was kind of the, the original impetus um after that especially because you know i have a, a natural sway towards working on people of color um you know i started getting invited to schools and you know going to schools and talking about them um about the women that i've painted and i realized that you know unless i go to an all girls school which has happened twice well one all girls school and one all girls after school program you know i'm working with a mixed audience and so i can't focus solely on this idea of women are awesome. You need to respect that. Um, So what I decided to do was kind of shift the narrative to, we all need role models who look like us. And so um, I remember a very poignant moment when I was doing a, um, it was like a career fair. So I had my table set up and had my posters out. And of course, a bunch of girls came and they were super curious and they were looking at all the stuff. But then this uh, this young man, I think he was like maybe 13, 14 years old, black kid, you know, he comes up super interested, super respectful. And he was like, you know, so what do you have going on here? And I told him and I realized in that moment that I had to I had to capture him in the same way that I've been trying to capture the girls, but with a different language. And so I pull out a picture of Sojourner Truth, of Billie Holiday, of Katherine Johnson, you know, and I showed him I was like, these, like, first off, when you take history class, do you see members and people in history that look like you? And he was like, no. And so I showed him those images. And, um, you know, I was like, this is what Sojourner Truth was about. You know, she was about self-emancipation and fighting for her rights and the rights of people like her, not only on the women front, but on the abolition front as well. You know, here's what, um, I think Shirley Chisholm rather than um, Billie Holiday, you know, here's what Shirley Chisholm was about. Here's what Katherine Johnson was about. I was like, do you feel more of a connection with these women? He was like, yeah, definitely. And so it was in that moment that I realized that, you know, as a woman, as a girl growing up, um, most of my role models were male because that was all I saw. And so it doesn't, so it, it's possible then for a young boy, a young man to have a female role model. Mm-hmm. And so by shifting that concept in my own head, uh, I was able to expand 
how I made my selections of the women to portray and then how I talked about my selections. Interesting. Do you, have you experienced pushback around your work about it being, you know, so focused on highlighting women and particularly women of color or women who are part of other marginalized groups? (laughs) In early days. So um, before I was uh, super focused on taking my art to educational venues Um, I once had it showing in a coffee shop, but it was in a church and then in another church, um, which is weird for me because I don't really do church. Um, But it was, you know, when I held my artist talks, those were the moments when I was most asked, so do you intend to paint men? (laughs) And, you know, the answer was no. Mm -hmm. Um, That's somebody else's job slash just been done to death. I don't feel the need to deviate from my course in order to uplift someone who's already been uplifted for millennia. Mm-hmm. And what was the re- the feedback or response to that? I think they kind of had to take it in for a bit, but I don't recall any rebuttals afterward. Fascinating. I think one thing that I've noticed just sort of in the general, I don't know if it's a pop culture thing or if it's just something that is sort of popping up in little places lately, but there seems to be, at least from what I've seen, um, a pushback, maybe an anger even at women. Um, And I don't know if it's so much a result of Me Too and Time's Up, but there seems to be the sort of undercurrent of, I'm tired of this feminist thing. Oh, that's that's old because I remember having a similar argument very much pre Me Too, or I should say pre the popularity of Me Too because sure. it's much older than we yeah. think. Of it. Um, you know, I I had a boss, you know, who was one of my Facebook friends, um, and I had posted an article uh, by this young woman who had had a bad date. You know, she had met this guy online, and he ended up just like really ridiculing her, like after accepting the date, after having conversed for a period of time, um, you know, ridiculing her about her body and like all kinds of other stuff. And she was basically saying, I am so lucky that I'm a strong person, but this nobody should ever have to tolerate. So I posted it and he basically said something like, you know, this is a storm in a teacup, like, you know, people need to just be decent. He said, men be gentlemen women be feminine, not feminist. And I, <laughs> hmm. I had a moment. <laughs> so at the time, so I, I paused, um, but I left the job shortly thereafter. And, you know, I, I posted my rebuttal and I wasn't um, antagonistic, but basically I informed them. Like I did some really quick research because this was before I started this series. And I was like, if you don't, think feminism was necessary, then you don't understand what it was for. Mm -hmm. And I just went on to list all of the rights that women didn't have as recently as the 1970s and 1980s. And how, you know, this is a person whose daughters, he has two daughters, they play sports, you know, and he's very proud of her, their athletic prowess. Um, They are, you know, in theater and performance and all this other stuff. And I'm like, without these women, there is no way that any little girl would even think about playing sports. Without these women, there's no way that any woman would consider any occupation that was not nurse, secretary, or teacher. You know, there are so many things that the feminist movement has given us and has led us toward the space of equality that we have now. Not to say that we're equal, but we are so much farther along than we were in the 70s and significantly farther along than we were back in the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. Do situations like that, that kind of pushback or feedback inform your work now? In a lot of ways, yeah. Um, You know, the thing that I've definitely realized is that to respond with antagonism uh, brings, makes people defensive Mm -hmm. and um, that is not helpful toward communication. And so when I do talk about any of the subjects that I talk about, like women is the lens, like women in history is the lens but it gives me an opportunity to talk about everything from, you know, uh, race relations, cultural equality, gender equality. Um, I just did a workshop on Wednesday on um, diversity, inclusiveness, and uh, equity. So, you know, I can 
touch a lot of topics based on this lens. And I've noticed that just by coming from a place of information, just assuming that there are things that people might not know and explaining it rather than um, starting from a position of anger and blaming uh, that I get a lot more positive responses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that's interesting um, that I've noticed with, with your work in particular is there's, there's a very clear through line. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that I've, I've seen of yours and granted, I haven't seen all your stuff, <laughs> everything that I've seen of yours, I can tell that it's yours. Yeah. When I, when I walked into coffee at the point again, at the beginning of October, they had just hung your, your most recent stuff. And I knew immediately it was you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, that's, it's very strong. It's, you look at it and you know, it's yours and it has a very strong voice, which is always really fascinating to me because I'm looking at a picture. And right. so it, it's like, it's, a it's making a point, right? I think with being nonverbal in a way that to your point is, has some nuance to it. Mm-hmm. That, that isn't directly in your face and is assuming that this is an opportunity to teach something. Yeah. What are you intending to teach? A number of things. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> um, you know, as I said, I began with, you know, exposing people to women from our history. And so that was, that is, remains the main component of what I'm intending to teach. Um, but then there's also context and that's part of each piece. That's why I have collage in the background behind the watercolor paintings that gives us the context. We understand what the world was like for these individuals, Mm -hmm. um, rather than just, you know, having just a single portrait. Uh, if you understand what the world was like, you understand motivations you understand why they were doing what they were doing, or if they were doing something that anybody else would have done, it's just they happened to have been the first. Why was this so pivotal? Um, so that's essential as well. And, you know, again, from choosing predominantly women of color, you know, who have been largely erased from the historical record, um, it's a matter of identification. So, you know, I, I feel that media, that art, uh, that creativity plays a massive role in cultural shifts. Mm-hmm. You can try to legislate a cultural change, but then there's going to be a backlash, which is why after the Civil War, you have the emancipation, you have the uh, reconstruction, and then there's an immediate backlash and you have Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. And then that lasted forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, but then you compare post-civil rights movement and the Cosby show comes on TV problematic now, but at the time it was a portrayal of black people as not only like everyone else, but also with the ability to be affluent with the ability to just kind of move through life easily when every other portrayal of black people beforehand was in a position of servitude was getting beat up on TV was being hanged like all of this other stuff. And so it was a massive shift. And by having the entire nation, not just Black people within the country, being able to relate to this family, that paved the way for a broader cultural shift. So um, when I create my art, I think of it that way, Mm -hmm. of how do we get people to identify with those that they would not normally choose to identify with or be impressed by those they would not choose, you normally choose to be impressed by? And then hopefully get to that place where it morphs into, I'm impressed by this figure who's up here on a pedestal to I'm impressed by this person who's standing next to me. Mm -hmm. It seems clear to me that you make very thoughtful choices in your work, Mm -hmm. but I'd like to know how you came to this work. Um, Honestly, I booked a show. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a combination of things. No. um, So I listen to tons of podcasts. Um, that is a a recent develop. I would say within like the last five years, you know, I've been really like discovering podcasts, delving into the world. Um, but even before that, I was always fascinated by documentaries, um, reading nonfiction books here and there, and just like studying just different aspects of human nature. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then I've always loved art, especially portraiture. And so for the longest time, those two worlds were very, very separate. Um, and I hit a certain point, uh, this was around 2014, 2015. Uh, I had just done a series um, that I called Synesthesia. And it was basically paintings of famous musicians. And I called it Synesthesia because every time I, you know, as I was painting each piece, you know, I'm hearing songs in my head um, <laughs> that these different people had performed. Um, but, you know, I, I realized, number one, uh, you know, I was putting my, setting myself up to run into copyright issues <laughs> for, you know, just finding an image and painting it. Um, but also that it felt, it felt frivolous, you know, like I had been developing this concept of, you know, thinking of artists as either the creators of culture or the recorders of culture or both. And I realized that I was only recording and I wasn't really recording much um, that felt poignant to me. Um, so when Judy, who is uh, Judy Weaver, she's the curator over at Coffee at the Point, um, approached me about doing a new series. Um, I had had an idea in my head that was a, a much bigger <laughs> than I was capable of putting forth at the time. And I was going to call it Subjectifying Women. And it was going to involve me um, interviewing women that I was impressed by creating their portraits, but recording all of that. So recording the interview process, recording a photo shoot, recording the actual painting process, making videos that were like a combination of all of these and having like their words overlaid on top. And I'm probably still going to do that at some point in time. Mm -hmm. But because that was the size of the vision, it felt much too big for me at the time. And so I was like, well, how about I just do women in history? <laughs> you know, I'll just look back, read some stuff and then make it happen. So, you know, I booked a show and it uh, debuted in August of 2016. And between the response that I received from doing it um, and the, just the process, you know, the process of making the boards, the process of doing the research, finding the images that told the story that I was trying to tell, like I just was completely absorbed and immersed. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that journey of understanding my initial vision for it, which was um, trying to uh, inspire and uplift women and girls and just kind of rolling into this much more um, globalized, generalized uh, way of thinking, I realized that this is, this is really solid and I, I can't stop now. Mm -hmm. Do you now think of yourself as a storyteller? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Has um, that been a tough title or an awkward title for you to embrace? Not really. I feel like I've been kind of chipping away at it over my lifetime. When I was a kid, I loved telling jokes, never making them up. I would just look online for <laughs> things that I found funny. Um, and then I would practice them and tell them in the funniest way that I could, you know. Um, and so not that I had any aspirations to being a comedian. I just really enjoyed that method of communicating with another person um, through humor mm -hmm. and just saying like, you know, this thing that I found completely amusing, but having this really engaging moment with another person. And so, um, you know, especially when I started giving talks at my own shows, which is how this all began, um, I just really incorporated that, you know, I'm very good at, at remembering plot lines. Mm -hmm. and really, to tell a good joke, you just need to know the plot of the joke. You can change things around a little bit. You can use, you know, more embellishment, less embellishment, whatever it takes, as long as that plot line is the same. And so I would do that with my stories of women in history, and I still do. Uh -huh. And I would say my finest moment was when I was um, talking in front of a class of fifth graders. And I'm telling them these stories of women in history, and I'm looking at the clock, and it's getting close to, you know, time to finish up. And the kids are still raising their hands, they're still asking me questions. And I'm like, hey, guys, you know, we got to end this. We have to go. And so, you know, we end the class, but I still got a bunch of kids standing in front of me wanting to ask questions. The thing that makes this so poignant is that their next period was recess. They were willing to be late for recess to have me keep playing. That is a big deal. <laughs> you know? And so I was like, okay, I, I might be good at this. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
What is it about story in particular that resonates so well through your work? We're humans. You know, humans have been storytellers from the beginning of language and from the beginning of art. You know, the the first cave paintings ever were the story of the hunt. And I don't know if they had the spoken word at the time. So maybe the pictures, you know, told it for them. But like stories of the way we pass down, have passed down knowledge since before the written word. You know, we are, we are, we are created to hear and retain and resonate with stories. Mm-hmm. So I feel that, um, you know, and, and history, it's got the word story in it. Unfortunately, it's not been told like stories, especially when we were in schools. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us don't really see the value in it. But once you get like the story of how events unfolded, and then you pair that with the story of who was telling the story in the first place and realizing that, you know, that shift in perspective created a shift in how the story would have been told mm-hmm. and how things, you know, might be different than what we originally thought. I mean, I think about the, uh, the fix, the 1619 project that the New York times put on. Oh God, it's so incredible. <laughs> I know. No, trust me. I like, I've been on it. I, I've yeah. listened to all the podcasts. I was reading articles, like I'm on it, but this idea, right. There's a story that we thought we knew. But now we know so much more about that story from a completely different perspective than we Mm -hmm. had been told before. And so um, I think that is incredibly important for us as humans and for me as an artist to keep storytelling as a major part of how I do what I do. Do you consider what you do a form of activism? Absolutely. Without a doubt. (laughs) How do you relate to that word? You know, um, this this season has been an interesting exploration of the word activist. And mm-hmm. as I'm talking to different folks that have different ideas of what it is. So how do you relate to the title, the idea of activism? I mean, the idea of activism, first off, it has the word active in it. You have mm-hmm. to act in order to be an activist. Um and so it, it has everything to do with disrupting the status quo, right? Um, and so for my part, the thing that I'm disrupting is the story that we think we know and the players, uh, the characters in the story that we think we know mm-hmm. and really taking this idea and, and pushing it as far forward as I can uh, with all the various projects that I do. Can you, you know, one thing about activism that, that um, comes to mind as, as well is that sometimes, and I, I just had this conversation with, with another one of the guests on this show, is that simply by existing in a space, you are now an activist. Um, that is definitely true. <laughs> in a so, lot of <laughs> For um, you, are you, that, are you that activist by default because you exist in this space and do this work? Um. Actually, let me, let me qualify. Let me qualify it. There are those who exist in the space, um, but they don't take up the space. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are those who exist in the space and insist upon taking up the space. And there are so many ways in which, you know, especially as people of color, especially as women that, um, and especially as, you know, anybody on the homosexual queer spectrum, um, that space tries to be like, there are those who will try to take that space from you. So uh, I like just posted about this this morning because it just happened last night. Um, I went to a live podcast um, event for uh, Stuff You Missed in History Class, which is one of my favorites. Uh And, you know, I brought some gifts for, you know, the, the podcast hosts because A, I love their work so much and B, you know, I wanted to share with them the work that I was doing. So I brought some trading cards some postcards, you know, things that I had created. And it just so happened that when we were doing the meet and greet that I was like front in line, like I was walking toward where they were coming out, you know? And so I was kind of standing back, giving them an op- the opportunity to get themselves settled and I've got these gifts in hand and I'm all ready to give it to them. And this woman comes up to me 
hands me her camera and asks me to take her picture with the host, even though she was behind me in line. Like you weren't standing there to begin with. Yeah, like, like my purpose was to serve her. And at first I was so taken aback, like my body just sort of went on op- autopilot and I took the picture. I give her her phone back and then the next chicken line goes to hand me her phone. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what, what the hell, right? But it's, it's that, it is that, um, you know, had I continued that passive stance, that would have been me not only not taking up space, but relinquishing the space that I had. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was an active, it was a moment of activism when I chose to say, no, I'm not going to let you do that to me mm-hmm. and let me come do the thing that I came here to do, right? which was greet these people, give them the gift that, you know, I intended to give them and thank them for all of the hard work that they do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I just, it's just one of those things that I think you and I both as people of color experience that all the time. Yeah. You know, it's not unusual for me to be in a space and depending on the way I'm dressed, if I'm just dressed casually, like people mm-hmm. automatically assume that I'm like there to clean the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and <laughs> no, I don't work here. Like I have to tell people regularly, I don't work here. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> don't work <Yeah>. here. <laughs> no, it's such a real thing. And it was so interesting because, you know, I kind of posted and forgot about it. And I had turned off many of my Facebook notifications so it wouldn't be constantly bugging me. Mm-hmm. But when I checked it again, I had like 25 messages and the vast majority of them were like, that's messed up. Some people, you know, just really commiserating with me. And then there were a few, you know, a few of my white friends who were have never been with me when anything like this has happened they didn't have a point of reference and really they were like you know why did it have to be a white thing why were they not just assholes or I don't understand why is it impolite for somebody to you know ask you to take a picture so I'm like okay well let me explain the situation more fully because there are some people who just get it right off the bat because I could have gotten angry I could have got worked up and just Mm -hmm. like all those people, but I didn't want to, number one, because I like them still. There's, I, I picked them for a reason. Um, but number two, I knew that that wouldn't help. So I was like, okay, clearly I need to clarify the situation. So I rolled it back to, you know, I was in the space. I asked a question. I mentioned to these people that I had a gift for them. I'm standing at the front of the line with my hands full, you know, because I didn't explain all of that in the initial thing. And so after explaining that and giving a little backstory of this is not the first time this has happened to me and the only people who ever do this to me are white folk Mm -hmm. and they were like oh I get it I'm so sorry that happened to you Mm -hmm. and so um it's frustrating to have to explain yourself and at the same time there is so much that we do not understand about the experience of the other yeah and I'm doing my best to learn how to be compassionate about that, especially with those who are not close to me and who seem genuinely confused. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not their fault entirely that they're confused. I mean, they could take it upon themselves to get more knowledge, but they're not trained for that. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's got to help retrain them, then here I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm curious to know about Afro Triangles. So that's the name of your website and everything that you do in the online space. What is, how did you arrive at that title? What is Afro Triangles? Oh man, I wish it was deep. Um. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't have to be, it could just be fun. (laughs) Yeah, no. uh, So, you know, I, I served in the military before I started art school. And you were a Marine, right? I was was a Marine once upon a time. Uh, (laughs) There are some people who say once a Marine, always a Marine, but I say I stopped. So (laughs) (laughs) not to, not to disparage those who feel that that is still their identity, but it is no longer mine. Mm -hmm. Um, You're allowed to pivot, as I like to say. Exactly. Yeah. No, I I totally pivoted. I pivoted before I stopped, but whatever, that's a whole other (laughs) conversation. Um, But anyway, uh, so during that time, you know, I was I was very much an avid reader in addition to being an avid artist and, you know, doing the things that were my job. Um, And so I had read uh, The Da Vinci Code Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, some other Dan Brown books. And the thing that kind of stuck with me was um, 
the symbolism, right? So particularly the triangle, depending on which way it was facing as the symbol of the masculine or the feminine. So if the point is down, that's the symbol of the feminine, you know, because it's uh, reminiscent of that triangle area of our body. Um, So I thought that was pretty cool. So I got out, I went to art school, you know, I'd studied animation, uh, which I knew I wasn't going to use because that takes a long time. And uh, I don't, I don't have all the patience for it. (laughs) (laughs) But at the end of the program, we were encouraged to come up with a logo for ourselves moving forward that we, you know, could use or could be a stopgap between whatever we were going to use next. But we were encouraged to come up with a logo, uh, put it on our business cards and just really have like a presence so that, you know, at the time they were gearing us toward uh, the industry so that we had a way of, you know, handing some, had something that we could hand off to industry professionals. Uh-huh. So at the time, uh, I didn't have my hawk. I hadn't shaved the sides yet. So I had like full blown Afro <laughs> and I had the image of this triangle in my head. And so I was like, I'm just going to put an Afro head on the inside of this triangle shape. And, you know, that's representative of me. You know, it's my hairdo. It is my heritage. Uh, you know, my, I'm very about my African or my Afro roots, um, I'm Afro-Caribbean. Uh, I know a little less about that than I know about the African-American experience because mm-hmm. I've lived that for significantly longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to have something that would just right off the bat, you better know who you're working with. Um, and then, you know, the triangle is the symbol of the feminine because I, I stand strong in my female identity, even though, you know, the way I dress, um, I might be considered masculine of center, but, you know, I, I stand strong in that, in that femaleness. So that's essentially where it came from. And it was interesting. I've actually had pushback on that as well. Really? Somebody, yeah, I've had a couple of people tell me that, you know, by calling myself Afro Triangle, by having this logo, which is a very simple logo, Mm -hmm. um, that basically proclaimed who I was, that there were certain kinds of work that I wasn't going to get. And my response is, good. (laughs) Yeah, you probably don't want that work. Yeah, if you take issue with me being Black and standing firm in my Blackness, then I don't need to work with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. I I just thought it was a really cool logo and a really cool name. (laughs) I I think it makes sense how you arrived at it. (laughs) Yeah, and yeah, oh yeah, so that was the other part that's so not deep. The name came after the logo. Like, I decided to have a company. I was like, what am I going to call this thing? There's an Afro and a triangle. Done. <laughs> done. Done. Easy. And it's easy to remember. So, you know, in the universe's divine wisdom, it just worked out right. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so I know that you are doing all kinds of artwork and all the time. And a big piece of your work is around working directly with youth. Yeah. Um, what are you doing there? What is, what is the impact you intend to have? Oh man. Um, I think at this point, I don't even know if I can assume the impact that I intend to have. Mm -hmm. I just hope that I have one, you know, um, in the beginning I was like, Oh, I want girls to be inspired and I want boys to respect girls. (laughs) That was kind of my focus. Um, but now really it's about engagement and engaging with the youth and giving them uh, an opportunity to, think differently than they would have previously. And so rather than setting an agenda for myself of what I want them to think about and how I want them to think, I've loosened myself up significantly from that. Um, Another thing that happened is that, you know, when I was doing this on my own, I went, I was just kind of doing lectures, you know, and just kind of going in and giving talks. Um, Over the past year, uh, I've signed up with uh, this organization called Think360 Arts. And they specialize and have done for the last 60 years in getting artists into schools. And so um, from that, all kinds of projects have arisen. So um, example, there's a school in, um, in Erie. And it is one of those schools where like all of the curricula have a, a, a tie-in. They have like a, a single thread that they follow through. And so me and five other artists were invited to give the kids different kinds of techniques and the threads that they were working on was walls. 
And so in science class, they were doing cell walls. And in social studies class, they were talking about the Rome, the walls in Rome. Um, and then uh, there was something about walls in like literature. I can't remember all the bits and pieces, but they had to create a project that somehow spoke to these different subjects. And so I and five other artists were hired to kind of show them different ways of portraying stuff. Um, and so, you know, at the time, then I'm not focused on women in history because that's not what they're studying at all. Mm-hmm. I'm focused in on how to get these kids to visually represent an idea. And so um, in the workshops that I did, you know, I told them, I was like, all right, your topic is walls. Here's a stack of magazines. We're doing collage. I want you to choose some images and put them down in such a way that explains something about walls. So, um, and in any of the classrooms that I visit now, I try to plug into whatever the curriculum already is and just sort of put my twist on it. So sometimes it's an artistic twist. Sometimes it is a women in history twist. So I had a class where they were focused on the reconstruction era and I gave the teacher um, a list of women of that time period to give to the kids. And uh, I think there were 15 individuals on the list, five white, or sorry, five black, yeah, five white, five black, five Hispanic. And so the kids were able to choose who they wanted to portray from that time period. And the focus was um, doing a collage to show what it was that they learned because they had to do research. So the teacher facilitated the research portion, um, gave them outlines of like what kind of information to look for. And then uh, when I went to the classroom, I helped them find the images that would help tell the story. And then basically, you know, just kind of gave gentle nudges here and there. I would just walk around the room, see what everybody was looking at, working on. If they looked like they were having a hard time, I'd help them out. If they looked like they knew exactly what they're doing, I would just ask them to explain. Um, and they created some really cool projects uh, about women in history of that time period. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I know one of the big things that you're you're focused on right now is this. I don't know if you would call it a partnership or if it's a commission. I, I don't know enough of the, <laughs> of the industry words, yeah. <laughs> but I know that you are essentially partnered with uh, Denver Women's History Commission and History Colorado Yeah, um, and working on some projects there. So what's happening with those two things? Yeah. So um, as a result of doing this work and as a result of people knowing that I do this work, I get recommended for some really cool stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, so through the Women's Commission, uh, back, it was January through March, um, I won a grant to create a set of trading cards about women of color, or sorry, women in Colorado's history. And so um, I did 28 designs, so 28 cards, um, and they feature 50% white women and 50% women of color. And I started like all the way back to pioneer days. So like in the um, 1840s, 1860s, all the way up to present day. And uh, that was an amazing um, experience. And, it, you know, it was a quick turnaround, like two and a half, three months. Um, but it was awesome, like getting to know uh, at least a little something about all of these different women you know, some of whose names I had seen on like road signs, some on buildings. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know there was a person affiliated with that. You know, like Mary Elich of Elich Gardens. It was a zoo first. Mm-hmm. And then, we, you know, started um, having plays. And so there was a theater troupe that was there for a regular season. And when she sold it to the folks who ended up turning into a an amusement park, um, she made them promise to keep the name, and that's how we have Elich Gardens, mm-hmm. which I thought was super cool. Um, the latest project that I'm working on now, uh, it is a fellowship that I won through the Colorado Women's History Museum and through History Colorado. And this project is a coloring book about women of color in the suffrage movement. Um, I had done a poster about this uh, earlier in the year for the Women's March. Uh-huh. And it basically, if you were to split the poster down the middle on the right side, it shows five different women of color, um, two black, uh, one Hispanic, one Asian, one Native American. 
And then on the left side, it shows the actual dates at which the women of these different ethnic backgrounds were allowed to vote versus the 1920 when white women essentially earned the right to vote. Mm -hmm. And so based on that, I decided to do this coloring book. And so I'm in research mode now and I am um, looking up not just individual women of color, but also the various issues that concerned their um, ethnic groups in this country at that time. So, you know, during the early days of suffrage in the 1940s, or sorry, 1840s, uh, with Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lucretia Mott, um, slavery was still a thing, right? It had not yet been abolished. And so it took until about the 1860s, 1870s for Black women to get on board because they'd finally been emancipated. Um, After that point, you know, we talked about a little bit the reconstruction and then the backlash to the reconstruction. And so the concerns of black women seeking the vote were very much tied to the plight of black men as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas for upper middle class white women, it was like, Oh no, we need our own power. Black women were like, Hey, our men are getting killed. And so are we, we need to have a voice in this entire system. So, you know, looking at the concerns of the various groups in addition to the actual activists. And so that's a, a major thing that I'm going to be putting into this book. Well, exciting. I really want to see your, your coloring book. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I, love, I'm, I actually, I, I keep a couple of coloring books around for those nights when I just need to turn my brain off and relax. And I, you know, I want like, I don't want the TV on because I don't really watch TV yeah. Uh, so I, you know, sometimes I listen to a ton of podcasts too, but sometimes I need there to not be words. Yeah. So I uh, color. I'm going to disappoint you slightly. There's going to be words. Um, <laughs> I mean, not, you know, verbal words. <laughs> yeah. You can ignore them. Um, yes. You know, I am, I'm, I, I do try to be um, very explicit with my artwork. I'm not very good at abstract at all mm-hmm. um, because there's, too much room for interpretation. I mean, abstract is all interpretation. That's kind of the point, right? Right. And especially with the work that I do, um, I don't want interpretation at all. I want you to, to know a thing you didn't know before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there have to be words. It's, it's inevitable. Um, but at the same time, the images will be so overwhelming that, you know, you can be distracted by the words momentarily and then absorb yourself in the image. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. Um, you know, Adrian, I don't think I asked you, how did you end up in Colorado? I came for school. Uh, so when I was, so when I was in the Marines, I um, had about a, what was it? Yeah. I, when I had a year and a half left on my contract, I knew that I wanted to continue my education. And so I had started taking like college courses and stuff like that. Um, because they're free when you're in the military, which was awesome. Um, so I took like all of the pre-college entry exams that I was, was able to, and I like got my credits up. Uh, and then I was looking around for art schools and I was like, oh, there's the art institutes online. I was like, I'll just do that. I'll just do an online program. And so I'm like all set to sign up for it. I got like most of the way through the process and then I got deployed to Iraq. So, um, (laughs) I was gone for seven months. I came back with six months on my contract. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? It doesn't make sense to do an online school for six months when I can just wait and then go to a brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like I do a lot. There's parts of me that are lazy. And I was like, I already started with the Art Institute. So I'll just keep going with the Art Institute. <laughs> so uh, I looked at what their brick and mortar schools were. I looked at what programs they had. And the one here in Colorado uh, had a program that I was interested in. And so I applied. And Colorado is, I've never been here in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I came in cold. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so, and my family is in Albuquerque. And that's like a seven hour drive. So uh-huh. it's far enough at the same time. <laughs> And yeah, I just enrolled in the school and moved here. And then you just stayed. And then I just stayed. Yeah, I thought I was going to continue traveling the world. What I didn't expect was that I would find community here. 
you know? So, and it was the first place that I've ever lived entirely on my own where my community wasn't just sort of handed to me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like everywhere that I'd lived with my family, like my family was my community. I was put into a school. So now that's my community and you know, whatever. Uh, When I was in the military, it was basically the same thing. Like you're on base no matter where you go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, you're in the US, you're on base. You're in Iraq, you're on base. You're in Kuwait, you're on base. I did two week soccer tournament in Okinawa. I was on base, like, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so again, like my community was determined for me. I, there's a fair chance I wouldn't have chosen most of those people. Um, not to disparage them. It's just, you know, we, there's not much that we had in common, right. you know, it's really, that was just really the reality of it. Um, and so moving here, um, you know, free of the military, therefore free of don't ask, don't tell. Uh, I found the gay community immediately. Like the night I moved here, I was like, rainbow flag, rainbow flag, rainbow flag. I'm coming back here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I started doing capoeira within the year. uh, And that became very much my community and still is very much my community. And then, you know, over the last few years, I've been discovering aspects of the black community as well. And so there's just so many ties that I have now to Denver. And because of these ties, because, you know, I've maintained, albeit loose connections with so many of these people that I've been encountering and circling over the years, I now have these amazing opportunities because these are people who already know who I am, Uh you know, and now they have the ability to, you know, that we have the ability to work together. And so they hit me up when they're like, hey, this opportunity just came up. Are you interested? I'm like, yeah, let's do this. You know? mm-hmm. Well, as a native Denverite, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you so much for spending some time with us for uh, the show today, Adria. Really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. Absolutely. <laughs> what is the best way for our audience to connect with you? Oh, man. So I'm on the social medias, Afro Triangle on all the things, Uh, though I will say I mostly play on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I technically have a Twitter presence and I'm continually surprised whenever I receive notifications that there's (laughs) stuff happening on there. So if you really want to get hold of me, don't don't use Twitter. Otherwise, uh, you can email me. I'm Adri at Afro Triangle Designs dot com. I have to emphasize the S. (laughs) Uh, and then uh, my website is afrotrianglesigns.com as well wonderful thanks again for joining us folks make sure you check out adria adri at afro triangle designs her website is really cool her artwork is up there you can buy some t-shirts with her art on it so definitely check it out more incredible stuff to come from her i am sure In the meantime, I hope that you found this episode valuable and inspiring. And if that's the case, the best thing that you could do is give it a share, help spread the word about the work that is happening by all the guests, but especially Adri and her incredible stuff. Definitely check out Women Behaving Badly. I love it. Like I said, I recognize it immediately anytime I see it. So check it out. Thanks for joining us today. Go be great. Until next time, we're out. Peace. Thank you.